Please, please pray with me. Father, we, we thank you for your grace that redeems and restores us. I don't know how many times I've found myself in a setting like this, worshiping with other believers, getting ready to hear from your word and thinking, I, if we lined up best to worst, I'd, I'd anchor the back of this line pretty quickly. There are times, Lord, where we feel so heavily the weight of our, of our sin to the point where we feel like, surely I've, I've crossed the line to unforgivable. Surely I've exceeded whatever grace was available to me. But Lord, we thank you that we can't do that. But there's always more. There's always more to come. And Lord, as we come to your word, your word points out your holiness and our unholiness. It points out our need for a Savior and the promise of forgiveness when we confess our sin. And so Lord, this morning as we open your word, as un flattering as the, as the image of us is, we pray that we would, we would see you for who you are, and that by grace we are redeemed and restored, and by grace we can walk to you and walk with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, unflattering pictures have become very common. It, it seems as as easy as it is to take pictures now, the availability of taking a photo only increases the likelihood that unflattering ones will exist. And maybe it's the pictures taken at a bad time and there's an awkward coincidence. Maybe questionable or highly outdated fashion is in use. Uh, maybe it's just a bad picture or, or the context of the picture makes it so, and chances are you've thrown away, deleted, or untagged more than a few pictures of yourself over the years because of that picture in some way, shape, or form presenting you in a way that is less than preferred. And pictures tend to be unflattering for two reasons. One is awkward timing, you weren't ready for it, fashion's bad. The other is it reveals a truth about you <laughs> that maybe you didn't know about or maybe, you weren't re- uh, maybe you'd rather forget. You know, here's a great picture of my son from years ago, this is before we moved to Des Moines, and, uh, and this was one of the first times that I was faced with a reality about myself, <laughs> that the, uh, I had passed the timberline as... <laughs> as some would state it, that, uh, you know, being, being about 6'2", there's only a few people that I come across that see the top of my head on a regular basis. And so this picture revealed to me something that I wasn't ready for, that, that things weren't as thick as they, they there's some deforestation happening. Because um, when I, I rub my hands up here, I feel hair. <laughs> right here I don't. I feel hair up here, so I thought, yeah, I'm not losing my hair. 
Like, that's for other people. And then this came along, and it's only gotten worse over the last five years. Um, That's enough of that, Kyle. Thank you. (laughs) You know, most, if not all of us, have something, some sort of insecurity about ourselves that, that seems to be pointed out very clearly by every camera facing our direction. Um, in, in Hosea 1, we get, in essence, a family photo. And it is not a flattering family photo by any stretch of the imagination. And this, this picture would not be Hosea's favorite. Uh, and as bad as it would be for Hosea and for his wife and for his children, uh, the message of Hosea says the picture is even worse for the nations of Israel and Judah. And God uses the life and family of Hosea as an unflattering picture to teach the people of Israel and Judah about themselves, both individually and as a nation. And so this morning, um, as we move through Hosea 1, what we see is that Hosea's family portrait is an unflattering picture of God's covenant people. And it reveals... A few things Uh, you see up there. The first thing it reveals is that they are chronically unfaithful. Well, let's read Hosea 1, 2 through the rest of the chapter. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblim, And she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for for in just a little while I will punish the whole house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore him a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her name No Mercy. For I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah. And I will save them by the Lord their God. I will save them. I I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. When she weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said to him, call his name, not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head. And they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. So there's the unflattering family picture of God's covenant people, and they are chronically unfaithful. The task of Old Testament prophet was a rough one, because God would just have you do things like you were the living analogy of your sermons. And the prophets, what they were sent to do was they were sent to preach to the people about who God is and where they stood with him. And and God would have the prophets do some weird things. Jeremiah had to buy a loincloth 
and then bury it in a river bank and then, and then take it out, wear it around. Ezekiel had to lay on his side for a long time and then roll over and lay on the other side. He had to dig a hole in the wall of the city and walk through it with all his belongings and then come back and say why he did it. And if you ever think that it's weird that God wants you to tell the gospel to your loved ones and your neighbors, just read the prophets and you'll be relieved that our task is the Great Commission. But this is no exception. God tells Hosea, go take for yourself a wife of whoredom. This would have been noticed by everyone. This is like if God told Matt Chandler, Matt Chandler, go to Vegas, find an escort, and marry her. Everyone would have noticed. Everyone would have taken note. Everyone would have been asking questions of why. When she cheated on him, they would have said, that's what he gets. He should have known better choosing a wife such as Gomer. Everyone would have noticed this. Certainly in this city, word would have spread. The prophet of God married a prostitute. Can you believe this? What a fool. Find a wife, Hosea, who will cheat on you. Find a wife who is so desperate for other lovers that she will find them and she will, she will find lovers who don't love her back but only use her. Find a wife who would rather be paid to be mistreated than to love you back with faithfulness and commitment. Verse 2 is stark, and it's unpleasant to read. Find a wife of whoredom. Have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Live in a relationship wrought with unfaithfulness. And we'd like to avoid this word, but verse 2 uses it three times. It is unmistakable. There is something very unpleasant about Hosea's call and even more unpleasant about the people of Israel and Judah. He says, take a wife before them. Enter a covenant relationship. The type of covenant relationship that God has with his people. And we think of the church as the bride of Christ, but God's people entered a covenant with God that was no less exclusive. God said from the get go, You'll have no other gods but me. You won't covet, you won't make idols. You will love me with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind and strength. God viewed Israel as a bride. And it's especially clear in how he responds to their idolatry. The covenant language of the law is very exclusive. The people are told to have no other gods. They are told to cleave to the Lord. In weddings today, in our vows, we have, we have phrases like forsaking all others, keeping only unto you. It is a vow to not wander. And in God's covenant, he had the people promise to him in the same way that he would be their only God. 
And any religious betrayal of that covenant is viewed in the same way as adultery. But not only will he have a wife, he'll have children. The biological children of Abraham have become the spiritual children of Baal and Moloch and Asherah. They were told in the Shema of Deuteronomy 6, You shall love the Lord your God. Behold, the Lord is one. You shall love him with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And you shall impress these things upon your children. Impress them. Talk about them when you lay down, when you get up, and when you walk by the way. You shall be teaching your children over and over and over again to love God with all of who they are. And instead of taking that commandment seriously, they became children of faith of other religions, of the Canaanite gods. Their knowledge and love of God, their faith and His promises was not passed down. Instead, their idolatry was. These children, they're, they're in your family, Hosea. And the text heavily implies that at least child two and three were not Hosea's biological children. I think child one was. I think Jezreel was his biological son. But it is very possible as you read the text and as you read Hosea 2 and you read Hosea 3, the reader is left to assume that at least no mercy and not my people were not his biological children. But he was responsible for them. And and God's in this place where they're, they're, they're biologically children of Abraham, but But by faith, they are no more children of Abraham than than anyone else from any other country on earth. They are not walking with me. And then it goes to the land. By mentioning the land, God says, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. And he's not talking about the grass. He's not talking about that hill over there. It's the inhabitants of the land. Every individual. If you were a citizen in these countries, this was about you. That the people have all forsaken God. It's not just Hosea's biological family. You can't work your way around and be like, well, I'm not Gomer. My name isn't No Mercy, so this isn't about me. No, this is about you. The covenant people of God have forsaken God. They've walked after other loves. As the song we sing says, they have heard the siren call of these other gods and they've gone headlong after it. And they have subjected God's land and God's glory to idolatry. The hills that should be proclaiming the glory of the Lord are now the high places of worship. The bronze and the gold that was mined out of the earth to build the temple has been removed from the temple to make altars to false gods. They have forsaken the Lord. The one who says to us, I will never leave you or forsake you. They've walked out on him to find lesser loves. The greatest command they had in Scripture that we have in Scripture, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. And they've not just divided their love between God and others. They haven't budgeted their love, as we might say. 
but they have fully replaced their love and dependence on God for false gods and for foreign kings. And we need to be careful as we watch our own life. Because it's really easy to read this and say, well, that was their problem. In 7800 BC, that was their problem. Idolatry is our problem too. Because we take good things and we make them into God things. We make our work an ultimate thing. We make our children an ultimate thing. We make the things that God would bless us with and do idols. And we need to guard our hearts from that. We need to lay those down and stop worshiping them. We need to not grow dependent on things that are not God Himself. We need to worship God and love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. As we see, as we, as we go from Hosea's marriage to Hosea's children, we see that God's covenant people are not only chronically unfaithful, they are in a deeply broken relationship. I was a little caught off guard in 2008 as an expecting dad for the first time, the pressure that comes with naming another human. I mean, naming, I'd named dogs. Naming dogs is easy. Because the dog will never care what its name is. I mean, you could, you could, you could name the dog one eye and it won't care. You name it Dirtbag, and it'll still come. Hey, Dirtbag! <laughs> you know, like it'll just be happy you're looking at it. But naming a human, there's pressure there. And plus, the dog is only going to live at most for like 10 to 15 years. But naming a human comes with pressure. When we were expecting our second child, when we were expecting Riker, we asked Avery for her suggestions. She was about three at the time. She said, well, if it's a boy, we'll name him Bubbles. If it's a girl, we'll name her Motorcycle. And if it's a woman, we'll name her Sharp Nails. And I promised her, if mom gives birth to a woman, we'll name her Sharp Nails. <laughs> if you are... just I don't, want to tell you, I don't want to tell you how to do everything in your family, but I'm just going to suggest that if you are in the position of, of expecting parent, you're planning to have kids somewhere, and you're looking for a good biblical name, do not consult Hosea <laughs> for a good biblical name. Like, unless you're going to name a cat. I think these names could work for a cat. Um, but these are, these are brutal names. And they reveal the condition of God's people, and they reveal... God's plan and where God stands in relation to his people. So we have the first one. And the Lord said, and they conceive, and uh, Gomer bears a son to Hosea, and the Lord said, Call his name Jezreel, which is the name of a valley. For in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I'll put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. 
This is the starting point. This is off to the good start. Now, now Jehu, if you don't know who Jehu was, Jehu was God's uh, mercenary to knock off Jezebel and Ahab. And he did so with, with great brutality. And you, know, you read the text, and he, he didn't end there. And he, 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 was kind, he was a brutal figure. But it says he was God, God was pleased with the work of Jehu. Now, when we read that, sometimes that can be confusing. It doesn't mean that God was like, oh, Jehu, he's my man. It means that Jehu did a good job performing a, a, a horrible task. God also called Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, his instrument to punish Israel. This is my chosen instrument. And then God punished Sennacherib through Babylon. What we see God, is Jehu is a bit of a type. And he is a type of the brutality that was, that was in the throne room of Israel. That the kings of Israel were brutal and bloody. And Jehu was part of that. And God values life. And blood spilt is a big deal to God. And so after generation and generation of injustice carried out by those who were supposed to be leading God's people, God is going to get justice. And it says, I will break the bow of Israel. God is going to take out the military of Israel. He was going to remove from them their ability to defend themselves in the valley of Jezreel. This was a name that was associated with blood and retribution. This is a name that's associated with battle. And it was in this valley that Assyria had their first major military victory over Israel, which occurred a little bit after this in 733 B.C. So God's saying Israel's going to lose their defenses in that valley. And Hosea's first son was the telling of that. And then the names just get worse. She conceived again and bore a daughter, and the Lord said to him, Call her name No Mercy. What every father wants to name his little girl, right? For I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all, but I will have mercy on the house of Judah. I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. This is a shout of warning. Like what Jonah gave to Nineveh. Forty days and Nineveh will be destroyed. Because we read this and God says, I will no more have mercy or forgive them. These are harsh words. This is terrifying stuff. Like God's saying to Israel, I'm no longer giving you mercy. I'm no longer giving you forgiveness. We're done. And the Lord who's full of compassion, the Lord who's full of mercy, how could he say these things? And, and we're going to see at the end of this chapter that, he, that, that there's this I, no mercy, and we're going to see mercy exercised at the end. So this is a, this is a de- declaration of warning. A commentator by the name of Derek Kinder says this, we must not... We must not Press the distinction too far, for this book above all reveals the persistence of God's compassion. But his love is not blind, no coercive. 
It follows that since mercy without response is self-defeating and forgiveness without a healed relationship is empty, there may come a point at which the only thing left for even God to say is how often would I and would you not? Behold, your house is forsaken. That God has had mercy and mercy and mercy for them and has offered forgiveness and forgiveness and forgiveness. And all they have done is followed idolatry more and more and deeper and deeper and darker and darker. And God has said that time for mercy for Israel has run out. For this generation, it has run out. But I will have mercy on Judah. And I will save them by the Lord their God because God offers a deliverance that no one else is capable of and that we can't fathom, that we can't reason our way to, that we can't work our way to. And so Assyria came and they get to the valley of Jezreel and they wiped out Israel. And they laid siege to Jerusalem and everyone's starving and it's the darkest of times and God sent an angel of the Lord into the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 soldiers in one night. Because he wasn't going to save Judah by Judah's weak army so that Judah could have no no ability to say, look what we did, but God saved them by the angel of the Lord so they would only be left to say, praise be to God who has delivered us. Praise be to God who has not forgotten us. Praise be to God who has shown mercy on the house of Judah. We are saved by the Lord God. We are not saved by our works. We are not saved by our merit. We are not saved by our own righteousness. We are saved by the Lord, just as the people of Judah were saved by the Lord. And I want you to note something here. Judah didn't need a military for deliverance. All they needed was God. God is enough. And and one of the root Issues within idolatry, the start line of idolatry is God is not enough. What do you need to be happy? Fill in the blank. And it's a great way to find out your idols. Well, I need, I need this type of success for my kids and then I'll be happy. I need that promotion and then I'll be happy. I need that pay raise and then I'll be happy. I need this type of marriage and then I'll be happy. I need this level of recognition and then I'll be happy. God is enough. Our answer, the true answer to where our joy lies is in the Lord himself. He is enough. In Judah, every method of salvation from Assyria they could think of, their military, the bow, their horses, their horsemen, God didn't use any of those. God did it all alone. God saved them, and He saves us. He leads us in paths of righteousness for His name's sake because He is enough. And then we get to the third child. When she had weaned no mercy and conceived and bore a son, and the Lord said, Call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. This is 
contrary. This is opposite to God's desire going back to Exodus and it's seen through all the Old Testament and fully realized at the end of Revelation that I will be their God and they will be my people. The relational desire of God is present all through Scripture. And we'll see that that it's present all through Hosea. But here he says, I'm changing your name from Israel to not my people. You are the children of other gods now. You're Baal's people. You're Asherah's people. You're Moloch's people. See how that serves you. They won't deliver you. Your idols will never love you back. Your idols will never provide you deliverance. Your idols will never lead to joy. You are not my people. I am not your God. This is a strong contrast to Isaiah 49.15 where where God says, and, and, and notice I said contrast, not contradiction. In Isaiah 49.15, it says, Can a mother forget her child? I can't forget my people. God isn't saying, I'm forgetting about you completely. He's saying, you're not my people right now. Because you are following other gods. If they won't change their name to disassociate with God, he'll change it for them. And then he says, you're not my people. I am not your God. And God gives a description of himself that's a bit of a pun on the word Yahweh. From telling Moses, I am who I am, to telling the people, I am not your God. The relationship between Israel seems over. This is deeply broken. And it's worth noting, and I hope you caught it, that the names of the children and the explanation of the names escalates. You're going to be defeated. I'm going to give you no mercy. You're not my people. There's an escalation here of, from a rate that indicates punishment to relentless punishment to the relationship seeming irreparably harmed. And the story, based on the names, goes from bad to worse to bring in a historian to retell this so we never repeat this mistake again. And it seems like God is about to abandon all his major promises and start over from scratch. And maybe you have felt that way in your walk with God, that you've sinned one too many times, that you've crossed the line in the sand. And you think there's no use in even trying to repent, so you force yourself into some sort of unnecessary exile from God. That you've cast yourself out from God. I have good news from you. Our security does not rest on us. It does not rest on our ability to get our act together. It does not rest on our ability to only sin eight times instead of nine. It rests on God. That we are saved by the Lord our God. And what the people were about to learn was that though this unflattering family portrait showed their chronic infidelity and their deep brokenness, it also showed that they were in a relationship with a covenant God, with a good God, 
And so God goes through these three names, and just when it seems like the nuke is about to drop, there's going to be a giant mushroom cloud. The next word is yet. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered or measured. God remembers His promises. And what we see here immediately is that, yes, God is going to punish Israel, but God's punishment of Israel is not the final word. God's blessing and God's promises are the final word. And there's times where sin, where we have, we face physical consequences for our sin, but the physical consequences of our sin are not the final straw. God's promises, God's forgiveness, God's redemption, that gets the final word. And here God is saying, I'm going to crush them, but I'm going to remember Abraham. And they're going to be punished and they're going to go into exile, but I'm not forgetting Abraham. Their numbers shall be like the sand of the sea. This is an act of mercy on no mercy. And then he changes names. And and we need to know when we come to God, he, he changes our identity. He changes who you are. It is a God-induced change of identity that happens here. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said, children of the living God. In Romans 9, it says, what if God, desiring to show His wrath, I'm going to go down a couple more verses. Yeah. What if God, desiring to show His wrath, made known His power, to make known His power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy, which He has prepared beforehand for glory. Even us, whom He has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. He has indeed said in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not my beloved, I will call my beloved. And then, and then we go over to First Peter. And Peter preaches this passage out of Hosea. I wrote the verse down wrong. First Peter 2.10. I'll, I'll back up to verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Here it is. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. This is the great news here. As we read the the children of Hosea, we know that these names get changed. That God's covenant people go from not His people to being His people again. And that includes us Gentiles. That there's a, a whisper of commission to the nations here. 
that we who are faithless, because, you know, we, we read the Old Testament and sometimes we're, we're tempted to say, now where am I in this? We read David and Goliath and we, and, and we want to hear, oh, you can be David. Just grab your stones and face your giants. And we read Hosea and we think, are we Hosea? I sure hope I'm not Gomer. We are the children. We are the faithless ones. We are the ones who have strayed from God. We are God's covenant people who have cheated on Him. We are the nation and God's saying, you are going to receive mercy. You are my people again. You are a holy priesthood. You get to declare the excellencies of God. And the children of Judah and Israel shall be gathered together. As you track the story of the Old Testament after Solomon dies, this horrible thing happens where God's covenant people are are put into two different nations who at times even war against each other, a, a biblical civil war of sorts. And God says Judah and Israel will be gathered together and they'll appoint for themselves one head. They are all children of the living God. We have been grafted in as children of the living God under one head who is Jesus Christ. And they shall go up. And there's one more name to deal with. And they shall go up from the land for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Jezreel where the bow was removed and Assyria came and slaughtered the army of Israel. Great shall the day be. Because this is also the same valley where Gideon defeated the Midianites. And there was great rejoicing And God's saying that rejoicing in Jezreel will be great again because people will be walking with me. My people will be walking with me. The transition from exile back to children of the living God. This is a prodigal-like return. That it would be said of God's holy nation of priests, they were dead, and now they are alive. They were lost, and now they're found. I hope you realize the greatness of God's mercy that we who deserve no mercy would not only be shown mercy, but would be given a name, children of the living God. That through Jesus Christ, God would adopt you into His family and make you co-heirs with Christ. That we travel from exile to having a room in the palace because of God's great mercy. I hope you know that God is not out of mercy for you, but it is plentiful, and it is abundant, and it is available. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for this word. We thank you that we can have life in you that your salvation is sure, that you don't forget your promises even when it feels like that's the only way. 
that you provide mercy and you never cease to. Lord, we thank you for this and I pray that our hearts would be sure of the salvation that's available in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.